on February 28th of this year, four days into the Russian invasion of Ukraine, a British television crew came under fire while driving about 30 kilometers from Kiev. They had been told that the area they were going into, the area they were traveling into, was quiet. But things clearly had changed as they arrived. As one of the journalists reported, from being, far, from being a quiet location, the whole of this part of the countryside, including our intended destination, had turned into a battlefield. After turning around and heading back to the city down a different road, their car suddenly came under attack from what was believed to be a Russian reconnaissance squad. Even though their car was pounded by enemy gunfire, all five members of this team were able to get out the the far side of the car and scramble over concrete barriers to safety. But correspondent Stuart Ramsey had been shot in the fray. He had been shot twice in the back. But in the end, he was just fine. Walked away from it. He was just fine. How is that possible after being shot under a hail of gunfire, shot in the back? Two words. Body armor. Body armor. He was wearing that flak jacket which protected him. As we turn to God's word this morning, we are going to discover a very similar reminder uh, about the importance of armor for each one of us so let's consider that by by remind let's consider this reminder by turning over to ephesians chapter 6 ephesians chapter 6 is where we will be spending our time this morning seeking to understand what god has has inspired here as we move towards the conclusion of paul's letter to the followers of jesus in the ancient city of ephesus Listen to how he encourages his readers. This is verses 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, No, we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. What is the apostle doing here? What has he given us here? What is the apostle doing? He's describing life on the battlefield, isn't he? Do you see that? Conflict, forces of evil, putting on armor. 
What is this? This this is the language of warfare. This is the language of, of a battle taking place in which it's clear the Ephesian Christians are involved. And if we believe their faith is our faith, if we, if we believe that this was and is God's word to his people, then guess what? We are on that same battlefield. Every believer is on that same battlefield. So to better, under, better understand and faithfully apply this message, let's think about three elements here. As you look over those verses, 10 through 17, think with me about three elements. First of all, Let's think about our enemies in the battle. We'll see that here on the screen. Our enemies in the battle. Second, our goal in the battle. And third, our protection in the battle. That's a little bit of a roadmap for where we're going this morning as we try to break this down and understand God's word. Our enemies in the battle, our goal in the battle, and our protection in the battle. So notice, if you haven't already, that Paul wastes no time... In this passage, in identifying our common enemy on this battlefield. Look back at verse 11. He says what? Put on the whole armor of God that you may may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 12, he provides us with a rich description of an entire movement or system or complex of evil that is working to extend this present darkness of evil. Look at how he layers that there. We read about rulers. We read about authorities. We read about powers, about spiritual forces. This is no mere aside, is it? He's actually focused, trying to give us give them a sense of the vastness of this. Now, it's important to grasp both the emphasis and the contrast here in this these verses, verses 11 and 12, or in verse 12 clearly. Verse 12, there's a clear contrast between, on one hand, flesh and blood opposition, and on the other hand, those cosmic and spiritual enemies in the heavenly places. Do you see that contrast? Flesh and blood on the one hand, and on the other hand, the cosmic spiritual enemies that he's describing here who are in the heavenly places. Now, why this emphasis? Sorry, the emphasis there, though, is if you look at those verses and look at the terms, the emphasis is clearly on the power of our opponents. Our opponents are powerful. And then the contrast is presented. So we have to ask, why this emphasis on the power of our opponents? Why this contrast between flesh and blood and these spiritual enemies? Here's the answer. Because our tendency as Christians, our tendency as followers of Christ is to focus on our everyday circumstances and our everyday obstacles and our everyday antagonists. And in so doing, we miss the fact that larger forces are at work behind the scenes. And there is no place that these Forces, there is no place they would rather have you 
is focused simply on the circumstances and the present obstacles and your present opponents, your flesh and blood opponents. They would love you have to just fixate on that. Absolutely, that's part of their design. The devil is not, as we see here and we know from the rest of Scripture, the devil is not indifferent towards you. He's not indifferent. You might think, devil, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> if there's a devil, then yeah, he's kind of this weird abstract idea, but he's off somewhere tormenting someone in some weird way. I'm just living my life. Guess what? That's completely false. And God is trying to correct that ignorance if we believe that. The devil is not indifferent towards you. You personally. He is, verse 11, scheming, isn't he? He's scheming. And he is not alone in carrying out these schemes. He has a network of evil. He has a network of evil, one that is embedded deeply in the power structures of this world. That's why these words that you see here, rulers, authorities, and powers, sometimes in other places the word thrones is used, sometimes the word dominions is used. All of these are used, why? Because they're also used in the New Testament to talk about human governments and systems. Why do we call the world the world? Why do we say, do not be of the world, right? You're in the world, but do not be of the world. Why do we say that? Because there is a God of this world, little g, 2 Corinthians 4. There is a ruler over this present age, little r. He is the devil. And this network of evil is deeply embedded all throughout human society. In every power structure, the taint of the demonic is there. Working through the failings of our flesh. Hooking us and drawing us in. Keeping us subservient. Keeping us brainwashed. Keeping us insensitive. Enticing us with all of its lures and appeals and temptations. It's all around us. This is not some weird arcane description I'm giving you of demons somewhere right like hanging like bats in some cavern right or some kids drawing a pentagram who are trying to uh, muster up an incantation i'm talking about even the everyday stuff what you look at and listen to what you're reading the people around you the conversations at the water cooler all of it the taint of evil expressions of this present darkness that is what paul is trying the picture he's trying to paint for them there there is a network of evil one deeply embedded in the power structures of this world so what is the goal of this network of evil what is the goal of these scheming of these schemes of the devil well moving on to our second point the goal in the battle this passage does not explicitly spell out the goal of these demonic schemes. It doesn't tell us that specifically, but I think that we can understand what this goal is from Paul's emphasis here on our goal in the battle. What is our goal in this battle? Now notice that even though 
Paul is painting a picture of what some have called spiritual warfare here. There is nothing overtly and tactically offensive about his encouragements. Did you notice that? No, there's not. There's nothing overtly offensive. We are not called to advance. We are not called to take the hill. We are not called to send saboteurs to blow up the enemy's strongholds. We are not called to push back the front line. We are not called to take prisoners. We are not called to cut off supply lines. We don't see that here at all. What are we called to do? Well, in regard to that question, it's completely clear. Paul couldn't be any clearer. He emphasizes it four times so that they get it, so that we get it. Verse 11, stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, literally just stand in opposition in the evil day. Having done all to do what? To stand firm. There's the third time. And again in verse 14. Right after he just said at the end of verse 13. What did he say? Stand therefore. He is like clubbing us over the head with this word. Stand, 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 stand. While some in recent times have developed fanciful versions of spiritual warfare and imaginative demonologies, systems that often have more in common with occultism than the Bible, the Word of God itself reminds us, take a look, that true spiritual warfare is first and foremost about standing our ground in the gospel. The good news about Jesus. That's spiritual warfare. You standing your ground in the gospel Consider this example from the same letter. If we ask what the context tells us about this passage, then what we want to do is look at the rest of the letter and say, do we have any indications that there's other places Paul talks about spiritual warfare? Any places where he talks about the devil? Any places he talks about spiritual armor uses some of this imagery? Well, in fact, look at chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Here's a beautiful example. Chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Paul says, be angry, Ephesians. (laughs) Disciple of Jesus, be angry, says Paul. And do not sin. Can Christians be angry? Yes, they should. They absolutely should. We should be angry as Jesus is angry, as our Father is angry about the evil Not only in this world, but that so often grips our own hearts. We should be angry about unrighteousness. We should be angry about injustice. Suffering, needless human suffering. We should be angry about those things, right? We should hate sin. We should hate sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, says Paul, and give no opportunity to the devil. There it is. How is the devil scheming in this scenario right here? Well, he's looking to gain a foothold, isn't he? He's looking to gain a foothold through unresolved anger in the body of Christ. He would absolutely love it if you were angry with one another. 
bitter towards one another. And he would absolutely love it, would fulfill his purposes if you did nothing about it. You just sat on it. You told yourself some tale about, you know what, it's better if I just keep quiet and not say anything about this. I would just be disruptive if I were to do that. Or I might hurt somebody's feelings if I told them that they were hurtful to me. He absolutely loves that if you just sit on it, don't say a word, and let it just boil up inside of you. Seething, right? Festering inside of you. That is the devil's scheme here within the body of Christ. And the context in chapter 4 makes it clear that Paul is talking about our life together as God's people. You can use this principle in many applications, but in the context, this whole passage is about our life together as the church. And our life together, as is clear here in this passage, our life together should be grounded in the gospel of peace. We saw that last time in Ephesians chapter 2, didn't we? He came and preached peace to you who are far off. He came to preach peace to those, those who were close. He's brought about peace instead of hostility between the two, Jew and Gentile. This gospel of peace, our life together should be grounded in the gospel of peace. Now drop down a few verses in chapter 4 to where Paul writes this in chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another. Don't be angry. Don't let the, the devil get a foothold in your life, in your body. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you what is that right there that's the gospel isn't it that's the gospel right there you see the devil would love to undercut the power of the gospel at work in the life of the church he would love to undercut and remove that foundation of the gospel in our unity our relationships with one another what is the devil's goal? How are these spiritual forces of evil attacking us? By seeking to move us away from the gospel, the very thing that unites us. They seek to use things like unresolved anger to keep us focused on ourselves and divide us as a faith family. Now, this also applies to our lives as the church scattered, doesn't it? Not simply the church gathered, but as the church scattered, these principles apply. These truths about this spiritual warfare apply just as much to you in the quietness of your own heart during your week, maybe at your work, maybe with family members, maybe doing whatever. But here's what we need to remember. If Jesus Christ has already won the war, if He's already won the war and the gospel is the proclamation of his triumph, which it is, then fundamentally the most strategic thing that we can do in our battles, our daily battles, is to simply stand firm in our faith and in so doing embody and reflect the greatness of his victory. Does that make sense? That's what we testify of when we stand firm. We testify that the war is won. The victory is secure. Christ has done it for us. Our strength in that battle is not going to come from our cleverness or from the fact that we're having a good day spiritually or whatever. Our strength in that battle is going to come 
from the victory that Christ has already accomplished. Amen? So how can we stand firm in light of these daily attacks? How can we stand firm in light of daily attacks from these numerous and powerful spiritual enemies? Please don't minimize our spiritual enemies. The New Testament certainly does not. It does not in any way. It talks about them with great sobriety, with great seriousness. Don't walk around with your fist in the air saying, I'm in Jesus, right? I'm in Jesus. Nothing's going to touch me, right? And just kind of go on and, and almost be, be making fun of uh, the devil. Oh, the devil, you know, silly songs or silly whatever about the devil. No, 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 no. That is not the perspective of the New Testament writers. They are very sober-minded about the reality of these enemies, about the vastness of this network, about the power and influence of our enemies. What can we do to stand firm in light of these daily attacks? We can put on the armor of God. That's what Paul's recommendation is here. Put on the armor of God. Not just some of it, but verse 11, the whole armor of God. What exactly does that mean? What exactly does that mean? Well, notice the elements that Paul is highlighting here. Verses 14 through 17. Notice the elements he's highlighting here. How is he highlighting them? He's, he's highlighting them by creatively comparing them to different pieces of armor that a soldier might wear in an earthly battle. So when he's talking about a soldier's belt or breastplate or shoes or shield or helmet or sword, notice what he's really talking about. He's really talking about verse 14, truth and righteousness. Verse 15, he's talking about the gospel of peace. Verse 16, he's talking about faith. Verse 17, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about the word of God. What should be striking about all of these elements that he's describing here in this creative way, using this imagery, what should be striking about all of these elements is just how familiar they are in light of everything we've seen so far in this letter. Paul is not introducing here in chapter 6 some secret knowledge about spiritual warfare. He is here at the conclusion simply repackaging everything he's already been telling them throughout this letter. That's all he's doing. Now, we have to be careful with this armor imagery here. We need to be careful not to get bogged down in the minutia of it. That is, we don't need to get into how each piece of armor works in light of the comparisons presented here and try to line everything up and kind of dig into that and push it as far as we can push it before it sounds nonsensical. We don't need to do that. The point of this entire passage is the very point emphasized in the very first verse of this passage. Verse 10. Be strong in the Lord. What does he mean by that? He means be strong in the strength of his might. That's what he means. Be strong in the strength of his might. That's our armor, brothers and sisters. That's your protection, believer. The strength of the Lord, the power of his might. 
It's what Paul called in chapter 1, verse 19, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Don't you love that, the way he said that? The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Wow. So chapter 1, now he's picked up the theme again at the conclusion here in chapter 6. And he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You see, to put on the whole armor of God is not a magical or mystical practice that results in supernatural protection if we do it. No, it is a gospel practice that rehearses and is reassured by the supernatural protection we already have in Jesus. That's what it is. That's all he's saying here. So let's unpack this idea by first rehearsing again the elements listed by Paul in verses 14 through 17. What are they? Truth. Righteousness. The gospel of peace. Faith. Salvation. And the word of God. Now in light of those, listen to some key verses here from previous chapters. You'll see them on the screen. Paul reminds them in 1.13, In Him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, faith, in Him, were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit. That's like five of the six that I just mentioned in one verse. Right there in chapter 1. You see, he's already laid it out for them. He's already laid out this truth for them. He goes on. In, he emphasizes this same reality in chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. There's our salvation. Through faith. There it is, faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now, in chapter 2, he goes on to talk about the community implications of the gospel. He says in verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, or whatever else divides us. We are one in Christ. That is part of the good news. And in 3.6, on the same, talking about the same subject, subject, he summarizes these community implications. This mystery, he says, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You want your feet to be ready with the gospel of peace? You should, because it's what drives us and moves us towards one another knowing that we stand together in Christ. When the enemy seeks to divide us, we run back with those shod feet. We run back to the gospel that unites us. Amen? That's what Paul's describing here. He drives home the reassuring results of this in chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. This was according to the eternal purpose that he, God, has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we, that is all of us, no matter where we're from, no matter what we sound like, no matter what we look like, all of us have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. There's faith. 
There's reassurance. There's boldness. There's confidence. Standing firm. You see, he wants them to remember, chapter 4, verse 20, the way you learned Christ. Do you remember the way you learned Christ? He wants them to remember the way that you learned Christ. Verse 421, assuming, says Paul, that you have heard about him and were taught in him, which they have been, as the truth is in Jesus. There's the truth. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Is putting on the new self, brothers and sisters, is putting on the new self the same as putting on the whole armor of God? I think it is. I think it's absolutely the same thing. Both of these are simply calls to live in light of the gospel. To live very deliberately in light of the gospel. The former may focus more on walking that new path in spite of the old temptations. Put on that new self. Start walking that new path. The the latter in chapter 6 is more about standing firm in in that newness in the face of enemy attacks. Right, Walking in the new self, living in light of the new self, and then standing firm in the new self when we are attacked by the enemy. So why highlight all these other verses from chapters 1 through 4? Like I said, I do that because I want to demonstrate how Paul is not doing something new here in chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. The imagery is new, but the pastoral message is not. And that pastoral message is this. Our protection in the daily battles of life, in the midst of of trials and temptations, our protection in the face of numerous and powerful spiritual enemies is the strong armor of Christ's powerful victory over sin and death. That is our strength. When we are wrapped up and encased in those realities, we are indeed strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. As Paul asked in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, take a look. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You see, that's the same encouragement that he's driving, here, driving home to the Ephesians here in chapter 6. So I ask you in light of all of this, friends, brothers and sisters, I ask you in light of this, what battles are you fighting this morning? What battles are you fighting this morning? Or what battles are there on the horizon and you know it's drawing closer to you? And it's only a matter of time before you're swept up in the, in the fight. As you think about those battles that you are fighting or will be fighting soon, in light of God's Word to us this morning, I hope that you will do two things in light of those battles. Take a look. First of all, I pray that you, no matter the battle, will recognize how larger forces are at work always, behind the scenes, seeking to move you away from the gospel. That is the most important thing I could tell you about where you are right now. 
the battle that you're in. Right? If you are just looking to have a situation resolved, a person to be out of your life, a person to say they were wrong, uh, a, a job to be restored, something to be brought back to you, something fixed, something done, something whatever. If that's what you're looking for, you are looking just to get away from how you're feeling, that you're escape, trying to escape the feelings or medicate yourself or suppress all of these things happening. If you are doing that, you are missing the real attack of the enemy. That hard situation at work, that medical scare, that rift in your family, those financial pressures, that battle with depression and or anxiety, those challenges with your kids, that addictive behavior, the ultimate goal in all of it, the point of the enemy's scheme is to push you towards distraction and doubt and despair in terms of your faith. That's the goal. It is so easy to fixate on the flesh and bloodness of our struggle, isn't it? So easy to do that. That person, that situation, those feelings, that pain. But when we do that, we often find ourselves using flesh and blood strategies to fight back. And that's the very thing that Paul is sensitizing them to here in Ephesians chapter 6. Why are you turning to those things? Don't you know our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood? That is, don't you see that there are larger forces at work trying to destroy your faith, trying to move you away from the gospel? Please take a moment to consider, carefully consider what is really happening in this battle that you're in right now. What is really going to be, t- what you're going to be tempted to do, what is really uh, uh, at stake in that battle that's on the horizon, that fight that's coming your way. Be aware, be sober-minded about the reality of what's happening, the stakes involved, the schemes of the enemy. And when you do, second, as you recognize that, I pray you, in response, will put on the whole armor of God by rehearsing, embracing, and applying the powerful truths of the gospel. That's your daily devotion to God. That's your daily strength and security is that you would rehearse, embrace, and apply the power of the gospel. So when our enemy launches a flaming dart that says to you, you are a loser. You raise up that shield of faith and you proclaim, no, I am loved. Deeply, powerfully, eternally by the one who matters most. I am loved. When the darkness tries to attack you with your past sins, you wear the helmet of salvation confidently knowing that you are forgiven because Christ was forsaken in your place. That's the strength of your power of your salvation. When those spiritual forces of evil try to undercut you and make you doubt God's favor and his presence with you, then you wield the sword of the spirit and you declare, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. And when they attempt to divide us, let the gospel of peace ready our feet so that we move closer together instead of a farther apart. 
that we come together as one body in Christ because of the gospel. And when they attempt to stab us with worldly, with fleshly temptations, let us take comfort in the breastplate of righteousness, knowing that we have been redeemed for a brand new life of humility and purity and love. Brothers and sisters, friends, Jesus Christ died and rose again. And in so doing, He forged an armor stronger than anything this world could ever offer. Unrivaled protection. Incomparable safety. And it's yours by grace through faith. You simply trust. Faith, the empty hand of the heart, reaching out to receive what God has offered. He offers you that safety. He offers you that security. He offers you that armor this morning. If it's yours, He calls you to rehearse, embrace, and apply. Right? Tell yourself and remind yourself. Rehearse the truth of the gospel. Embrace it. Let it sink deep inside of you wrap your arms around it as it were and apply it what does this mean if i am loved this much what does it mean in light of this temptation i am facing right now this criticism from another person this rejection from this group of people this whatever fill in the blank though we might suffer temporary wounds and yes you can still be wounded in this armor you can still be wounded there's no kind of life in this world. There's no human life in this world. Don't listen to anybody who tells you otherwise. There's no human life in this world that is free from hurt and suffering and pain. We all must endure it. We all must go through it. But there is only one path in which that suffering is meaningful. In which that suffering, through down which that suffering can be redeemed in which God's assurance of the gospel is that He is causing all things to work together for our good. You see, this armor doesn't guarantee us protection from every and any wound. It doesn't protect us from being hurt, from suffering pain. What it guarantees us perfectly and always is our ultimate safety in God and with God forever and ever and when you understand that that promise should strengthen you in the midst of any battle no matter what you're facing how hard how intense how severe that promise should strengthen us in the midst of any battle amen Amen. Let's pray and give praise to God for His gift of the gospel, for His gift of the whole armor of God.